On this episode of Intent Topics, we have Craig Elias from Shift Selling giving us seven mistakes people make when prospecting. Welcome to Intent Topics. Today we have Craig Elias from Shift Selling. Craig is a speaker, an advisor, a sales trainer, and a mentor, among other things. Um, and today we're going to talk about the seven biggest mistakes people make when prospecting. Uh, welcome, Craig. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Oh, you got it. Uh, so uh, before we get started on the seven mistakes, you want to give a quick background to our audience on a little bit on yourself? Yeah. So I was a bartender at a bar making really good money in the early 90s. And a guy I worked with uh, became a recruiter and he got me a job as an inside salesperson for a tech firm. And I lasted about 90 days in that job and got promoted to outside sales. And then for the next 20 years, I just had this unbelievable knack of showing up in front of the right people at exactly the right time. And then one day my luck... Yeah. And then one day my luck stopped... And I was really curious what was different. So I looked back at my luck, you know, all my six, seven, eight figure deals, figured a few things out, took what I had mm-hmm. learned, started a company, won a million dollar prize in a global billion dollar idea competition, spent a year down in Silicon Valley, wow. which was living the total life of Riley, um, became a dad, <laughs> put in place a CEO, came back home. And then I kept getting asked to go share with all these sales teams what I had figured out that made me so lucky. And that sort of took on a life all of its own for a few years. So I I get to travel the world, speaking on stages. And when I'm home, I get to help startups uh, and scale-ups in my own entrepreneurship ecosystem. Nice. Very exciting. Well, thanks for joining. Uh, We're excited to have you on today. and so, Logan, do you want to kick off the top the top seven uh, mistakes uh, people make when prospecting? Yeah, man, I'm pumped about this. This is great. Thanks for coming on, Craig. Uh, so let's let's start with number seven here. So you ignore the five opportunities created by a bounced email. Talk to me about what you mean here. Yeah, so I, I look at this not just as you know these are the mistakes that people make, but this is why people's prospecting sucks. So these seven yeah. reasons, if your prospecting sucks, it's probably one of these seven reasons. And, and here's the thing. So you've got an, uh, a person at an account. Let's call him Logan for now. And you send an email and the email address bounces. Well, nine times out of ten, what people do is they just take that person. Okay, okay that person's off my prospecting list. They've left. For me, instead of taking them off your prospecting list, you should say to yourself, hang on a second. I can create multiple opportunities out of this. So A – Odds are that if Logan was a customer in the past, he's highly likely to buy from you again. So first of all, you need to figure out where did he go? The second thing you need to figure out is um, where did, like, who did Logan replace? And where has that guy, where has that gal gone? Because that person's new in a role, has more money, more authority, and more influence than they even had in their other role. And the data suggests that 70% of decision makers new in their role will spend their entire annual budget during their first 90 days in the job. So you got to go where these people are as soon as they um, get a new job. So Logan leaves. 
So I got to follow Logan. I'm going to find out who he replaced, talk to that guy or gal. Then the thing is, Logan mm-hmm. used to have a job, and he was a nice enough guy, and he gave me some business, but I wanted more, <laughs> right? And I couldn't yeah. go over Logan, or he'll get pissed off, and he'll cut me off. Well, Logan's <laughs> no longer there, so right. let's go talk to his boss. Start building mm-hmm. relationships farther up the organization. Um, I then want to f- I want to uh, see what happens to see who ends up replacing Logan because I want to make sure I talk to that person right away. And the f- right. and the first question I ask when I go see Logan's replacement, let's say it's Chris, the first question I'm going to ask Chris is, "Where did you come from?" Because that's a vacancy mm-hmm. that at some point is right. going to get filled. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. So, Craig, uh, talk to me about the tools that you employ if you're if you want to make your prospecting not suck, specifically yeah. around number seven here. So, for me, I look at even just something simple enough as an alert or a saved search on LinkedIn. Tell me when anybody on my network or a second degree has a new job with the title sales in it, or has a new job with the title marketing, or has a new job with the title operations. So I use, I use these safe searches. Uh, I then get a list. Sometimes I get a couple hundred of these a week. And I'm just going to focus on those that are less than 90 days in their job. Because sometimes what happens is people take longer than 90 days to update their LinkedIn profile. So I'm going to focus on those that are newest in their job because those are the ones that are most likely to change. You could also do a yeah. Google alert. right? Between quotes, yep. appoint, appointed, VP, whatever. And then put down maybe a geography. So if you only have certain accounts or only have certain geographies, you can add that. That's another really good way um, you can do this. Uh, you could, if you're an organization, you could actually find, you could do marketing automation and you're sending out all these people sure. that are on your you know, lead nurturing right. list. And then they bounce. Oh, right. <laughs> that, Makes sense. It's, you know, it's interesting. I've actually, I've actually heard of, haven't spoken to this person, but I actually heard of uh, a division manager inside um, Salesforce who did something a little like this, but they would send an hmm. email out to all their important contacts the day before a major holiday. Think American Thanksgiving. And then what ends up mm-hmm. happening mm-hmm. is yep. they get all these emails that bounce back. Yeah, the- Hey, you know, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm yeah. out of the office. You need to talk to my boss. My boss is Logan. I was like, oh, that is so brilliant. Uh, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. So, okay, cool. So standard standard tools, deploying them in a real specific specific way. So let's go to number six. Uh, you put, you can't tell a hot prospect from a time waster. I think this is something that... Uh, you know, every salesperson in in some shade would love to understand how to how to tighten that up a little bit. So I'm excited oh, to hear what you yeah. have to say here. And everybody who's listening to this is going to go, "Hang on a second, that's happened to me." So here's my argument. Yeah, of course. So I, I look at the world of sales from people are always in one of three buying modes. First one, status quo, happy, see no reason to change. Um, something happens. We'll get to these things. Uh, that makes someone unhappy and thinking of changing. It's called the window of dissatisfaction. And then at some point, they start the process mm-hmm. of searching for alternatives. Way too many salespeople think that just because someone says, hey, I'm looking for a different provider of this, can you tell me how much you cost and all kinds of other stuff. By the time people get to that part of the process, this is where I believe some of the data that says by the time a customer reaches out to you, 
the deal is 57 or 68 or 75 percent already done yeah because they, they've yeah. or here's what's happened they've already defined the problem they've already mm-hmm. designed the solution and they're now just going mm-hmm. out doing column fodder right that's what ends up happening michael bosworth talks about the fact that if you're not first you may as well be last but this is what happens when you mm-hmm. do outbound and you talk to someone who says i'm thinking of doing something about this Phone me back in five months when I'll have time to talk about it. These are the hot prospects. These are the people that know they have a problem. They haven't fully defined the mm-hmm. problem. They haven't decided which way they're going to solve the problem. These are the people you want to get to now because if you help them frame the problem in such a way that your solution is more appealing, then you've just displaced all kinds of your competition. Now, when I say competition, right. I don't mean competitors. Competitors are you going to identify by saying, who is my competitor? What is the competition? It's all the different ways of solving a problem. If you own a jewelry store, your competitors are other jewelry stores. But your real competition is all the crazy ways that guys would say to their spouse or whoever, I'm sorry or I love you. And it turns out that's flowers, chocolate, perfumes, purses, pets, <laughs> trips, and cars. Sorry, reservations is another one, right? So if you... <laughs> Don't get in there early. You miss the chance to create what McKinsey calls the initial consideration set. How am I going to solve this problem? Not which vendor, but how am I going to solve the problem? If you get there right, early, right. you solve the problem. Mm-hmm. People go, oh, coming back in six months. Salespeople are smart. They're like, I'm going to phone you back in five. By the time they phone back in five, guess what happens? They've already made a decision. So when someone says to you, I'm thinking of changing, mm-hmm. call me back in six months, that's a hot prospect. Interesting. Interesting. So, um, what are some, what are some specific like action steps that you can take to, you know, if you're, you're, you're kind of beginning that sales process, like, are there specific questions or, or how are you sussing that out? Um, oh, well, it becomes, yeah. So we're yeah. going we're, we're to get to this because it's the question is that you tell people what it is, <laughs> what you sell. So the way I come at this is you tell people the value of what it is you do, not what it is that you actually do. So we'll get to that a little bit. But so someone yeah. says, someone cool. says, "Oh, I'm thinking of doing that. Call me back in six months." Here's here's the secret. You you can't wait five yeah. months. It, Go ahead, Chris. To to, to to tie that to the data um, we use for prospecting, uh, there's a topic we've talked about a bit, which is along the lines of um, just because a buyer is showing intent signals. Right, uh, doesn't mean that they're ready to buy, and there's often a misconception that oh, the data is the data is indicating that there's there's uh, you know research happening around this topic, and and oftentimes people will miss uh, they'll think that that means that that person's ready to buy when when really it's it's not it's potentially a time waster is my point, um, and so not to, and to know where that person is in the buying cycle is very important. To prioritize well, and, your time. And here's the other right. thing. I think it's really important that when someone says to you, hey, I'm thinking of changing, call me back in six months. I'm going to say something like this. Chris, I will gladly call back in six months, but can I ask for something first? Like I'd love to be prepared for when I call you back in six months. Do you have time for 30 minutes next week? What Do you, are, do you have time for 30 minutes sometime this week? You're going to say, no, I'm too busy. I'm going to go, well, mm-hmm. what about next week? You're going, no, I'm too busy. And then I'm going to say this. I'm going to say, what if I only yeah. made it 20 okay. minutes and what if it was three weeks from now? Mm. And people won't say no three mm-hmm. times in a row. You get your 20 minutes. You get your 20 minutes, right? There's all kinds of things about why, how many people should be on that call. My argument is two or more. The data says two or more people on mm-hmm. your first call makes you three times more likely to get them as a customer. 
Yeah. Uh, so you got to get on the radar uh, screen within 21 days or it doesn't work. Right, right. Wow. That makes sense. That makes sense. So let's move into the next one so that we, uh, we cram all these into one episode. Uh, so number five, you ask inbound leads the wrong questions. So we're switching things up from outbound to inbound. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about, let's talk about inbound. Uh, so inbound, here's the problem. Someone fills in a form, sales guy picks up the phone, sales gal picks up the phone and goes, hi, Craig, are you ready to buy? Hi, Craig, are you ready to buy? Hi, Craig, are you ready to buy? And it just turns people off. My argument is we need to learn, we earn what we learn. So, so I'm going to pretend this lady named Sally fills on a form, meets my criteria. First of all, I'm going to phone her back in five minutes or less when the form has been filled in because the MIT lead response survey says if you call back in five minutes or less, you are nine times more likely to actually talk to that person. So I talked to Sally. Mm. Hi, Sally. Right. Craig here. I see you just filled in the form. I'm calling to follow up, but I'm not trying to sell you anything. Can I ask, can I take two minutes and ask three really quick questions? The answer is almost always yes. So here are my first three questions. So first question is, did you receive the email that had the link to the resource you were looking for? If yes, great. If not, okay, is it in your junk filter? No, let's go send it again. Second question, when you read about this or when you heard about this, what resonated and made you say, hey, I should check this out? My last question always goes like this. I'm curious what happened recently that made this more important or more relevant. And what I'm listening for is has there been a trigger, an event that has raised their expectations or helped them understand the performance of what they get has dropped. Now they're in the window of dissatisfaction and thinking of changing. If it turns out there's been an event then I ask for permission to ask more questions. But in the first part, I just want to learn. If I'm not learning, I'm selling. And as soon as I start to sell, people push back or shut down. Right, right. Yeah, they're like hardwired for that. Yeah. Um, so that's interesting. That's interesting. So um, when we when we look at like inbound leads and you talk about events, yeah. right? Briefly, discuss like what is an event uh is it a job change is it a you know uh earnings issue is it all the above how do you how do you categorize yeah they're called the a's b's and c's um and this is sort of for me this is you call it the wrong time it's the number one mistake or biggest reason people's prospecting sucks so the first one is an awareness strategy i try to tell people i'm better faster cheaper problem is it doesn't work the this is what salespeople do the b is bad experience this is what other vendors do to piss off customers. As soon as someone has a bad experience, you're like, I want to switch. Out they go. They pick up the, the, the phone. They call the first person they think of or the first person they'd rather do business with, and they're, they're yours. That's the Bs. The Cs are changes inside the organization you're trying to sell to. So, yes, job change, location change. Um Location changes for me are a big one. Any sort of competitive threat when, you know, when VMware announced that they got to a half a billion dollars in revenue, the story I got told was that the CEO of Citrix then said, crap, picked up the phone, called their favorite McKinsey rep and said, I need $50 million worth of consulting.
All right, cool, Craig. So that was number five. Uh, let's go into number four. You tell prospects what it is you sell. I thought as a sales guy, I was supposed to be telling people what I sell. And I think that that's what most people are doing. So talk to me. What do you mean by this? Yeah. So here's the challenge. Let's pretend I call a guy. I don't know. Let's call him Barack Obama. Hi, Brock. My name's Craig, and I sell some sales training. Would you like some? Shooting high. Yeah, well, shooting high. Yeah, yeah. Shooting high is a good thing. We'll get to that. But here's the problem. He goes, oh, I've already got a sales trainer. I don't need you. So the biggest mistake I think people make when people uh, – A, when you pitch, you're pitching your product, not the value that you bring. And B, when people ask you what you do, you actually tell them. So I'm, I'm going to play my role. I'm going to pretend, Logan, you're a VP of sales. Now – it turns out you're a new VP of sales. That'll become important later on, okay, in the podcast. You're a new VP of sales. I pick up the phone and go, hi, Logan. My name's Craig Elias, and I have a really simple way for more of your reps to make quota. What are you going to ask me? How? Exactly. So, Logan, I'll tell you how, but can I ask a few questions first? So what good salespeople do when they're asked a question is they always find a way to ask questions first to get some context mm-hmm. before they spew, or as Jeffrey Gittimer says, before they puke, content all <laughs> over them. All right? Um, so right. here's the thing. So, so Logan, I'm going to ask you a question. So I'll say, I'll tell you how. Can I take a couple minutes first and ask three quick questions? You're going to sure. say yes. You almost always do. Sure. So here's my first question. How many salespeople do you have? Say 10. Thousand. So you got 10,000. Okay. You got 10,000. Wait, what percentage of them make quota on a consistent basis? 20%. Yeah, okay. So you're doing worse than most because most is like somewhere around 48%. But here's my last question. Why do you think it is that reps can't make quota? Because we haven't hired you. Okay, well, that works. But the answer I get more times than not is that people can't close. And that's what I would say, Logan, you know uh... what? I I don't think you have a. I don't think you have a closing problem. I think you have a completely different problem. I think you have a prospecting problem and a qualifying problem. Do you have a few minutes for me to explain why I think that? Yeah. Do you know what? Do you know what? I, do you know what I'm selling yet? No. 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 Building, so building value and, for sure. Yeah, and now we're talking about how, like what? Why is prospecting and qualifying really a problem? And then we start having this, con- this conversation. Right. So when you get in front of these decision makers that are new in the job and you have your first conversation, your only job is to get, like, hit them over the head with the problem, help them redefine the problem. Because if they think the problem is closing, I'm not the world's best uh, uh, expert on closing. I am like I have 10,000 endorsements and they're almost all for prospecting and qualifying. So I need to, in my first conversation with you, help you reframe the problem and then be the first person that talks to you about how do you solve this new problem. I had this happen once with a bank, right? Had a guy come in from out of town, uh, wanted to spend some time. Only time I could get was three 30 on a Friday afternoon. And, and my one of my qualifying rules is if I'm going to have a conversation with someone or meet somebody, there's always a second person on the call. The data from Donato Dario says, the second person on a call or a visit, your first one, makes you three times more likely to get them as a customer. Lots of different reasons why. So guy comes to the town. I'm in this meeting. 
he thinks he's got this problem. He's responsible for sales transformation. I'm like, yeah, you are, you're, you're nowhere near the mark. Here's what I think the problem is. And, and here's the ways you can solve this problem. And at four o'clock, he says, okay, I have another meeting, but you can't go. So do me a favor. I'll be back in 30 minutes. So I spent some time with the other person in the room, learned a bunch of stuff. They came back. We had another conversation. They went away for the weekend. And then I got a phone call on the Monday afterwards. And he called me a fucker. He says, I spent three months working on all the different ways to solve this problem that I've been having. And you made me realize in like 30 minutes, I was going down the wrong path and you ruined my entire weekend because now I had to redo an entire 90 days worth of work. (laughs) That's, that's interesting. That's interesting. And I think that moves us into to number three. So, so you say you, you, you measure the wrong things. So uh, talk to me about that. Yeah. So this is one of my pet peeves about sales managers, CRM. There's like 420 different metrics they measure. Mm. And just because something can mm-hmm. be right. measured doesn't mean it matters. So mm-hmm. these are the only four metrics I think matter. My first metric is how many of your initial calls to an account are to a vice president or higher? Because if you're not calling up high, you're not talking to people that define the problem, so you can start designing the solutions. That's question number one, or metric number one. Metric number two, what percentage of your voicemails get returned? If your voicemails aren't being returned, you suck at selling value. Like, hey, Logan, my name's Craig. I have a really simple way to help more of your reps make quota. Here's my number. Right? If that doesn't work. I, yeah. I'm gonna, I might have, I have a second one, which is I'm going to turn more of your B players into A players. Here's my number. So, That's it. Uh, real quick on voicemail. I'm a skeptic on voicemails. What is there a perception that people will return a voicemail or is that a very low rate? What do you think there? So if you phone and tell people you sell sales training, they're going to hang up. They're never going to return your voicemail. If you call them and tell them right. that you're going to solve a specific problem, which they've got because they're new in the role and they want to make things happen, then you're going to get a conversation. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, my argument okay. is every time you touch somebody, like email, voicemail, in person, you create more credibility. I know people that make 200 calls in a week and don't leave any voicemails. I'm like, people don't know your phone. Like, that's craziness. Right. So that's right. You're a ghost. Yeah. Yeah. So leaving it like having a rock solid value proposition means your ratio of calls to return, like voicemails returned will go up now. Mm-hmm. That, so mm-hmm. then the, the objective is to get a first meeting. How many first meetings can you get? Okay. Now, but here's the thing. The thing is how many of your first meetings have at least a second person in the meeting from the, from that organization you're selling to? Because if, if you don't have a second person in that meeting, odds are your column fodder. And if someone puts a second meeting, second mm-hmm. person in that meeting, that means there's some real value to be had and they're interested in what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they wouldn't invest a second person's time. Here's, here's, the, here's okay. the third metric. So how often mm-hmm. do you get a second meeting? So if you call a VP or hire and you don't get your voicemails returned, your value proposition sucks, right? If you get a voicemail returned, but your first meetings don't have a second person, that means that you're not talking to the right people or you're talking to them at the wrong time. And if you can't get a second meeting, that usually means that you didn't establish a relationship and they're much more comfortable boring your idea mm. and giving it to somebody else. And if you can do the three things between those four metrics, you'll be a rock star. 
Gotcha. Gotcha. Interesting. Interesting. So, so let's, so I think this, this is one of the things that you're talking about message, uh, measuring, but so number two, we're only on number two. Uh, you call all the wrong people. Talk to me about what you mean by that. Yeah. So the only people worth calling are VPs or higher. These, you, you need to find people that have money, the authority to spend it and influence. So when people go through the buying cycle, they have to have three events. The first event makes them unhappy with the status quo and puts them in this window of dissatisfaction. I'm thinking of changing. Then they have to have a second event. The second event is where they can afford the money to buy it or the time to look at it. And then even then they end up stuck in this searching for alternatives mode. And the vast majority of deals are lost because you can't justify that purchase. Hmm. Right? People justify based upon it's called RIPES, R I P E N S, risk mm-hmm. avoidance, image. How do they make themselves look good or their boss look good or look good on their resume or LinkedIn or whatever? P is productivity. So uh, spend the same amount of money to get more done. E stands for expenses. Do the same number of things, but spend less time, money, or mm-hmm. effort doing it. And S stands for simplicity or speed. Mm-hmm. So um, you're calling all these lower level people that don't have money, don't have authority and don't have influence. When you call a VP or higher, they have all three of these. And instead of people having to have three events, I want to to change. I can afford to change. I can justify the change. They just only have to have the first Mm. event. They make decisions way quicker. So I only call people that are VPs or higher. Otherwise I'm wasting my time because if I sell to this nice guy, Chris, nice guy, but his boss is Logan and I got to somehow convince Chris to be a good salesperson to sell it to Logan, Mm -hmm. which seldom works. And it just like selling, trying to get people to go up. If you can't use a really good value proposition to get the interest and attention of someone at a VP or higher, you got to go figure out your value proposition. Well, I, I think, and we have some data and this is where I'll push back a little bit. I think it'd be a good conversation. You know, we have data around, uh, you know, finding the buying groups within a company. And I think to say a, to say a C level or VP has influence, I think they have decision making power. Um, but influence comes from other, uh, you know, it doesn't matter if a C level person has influence there, they are the boss. Like C anything has decision making power. VP, you know, a lot of times they're going to have you know, more, more decision-making power than need influence. So talk to me about like, do you completely ignore the fact that there are other people in, in that, that might have a outsize impact on the VP or the C-level person who, who is not going to be diving in deep? I mean, I think sales training, that's one thing, but like technical solutions, um, you know, marketing solutions. Uh, these are things that there are definitely people who are, so, uh, you know, part of that conversation that might have an outsized impact. So talk, what do you think about that? Yeah. So my argument is you win a sale or lose a sale on the very front end of the process. And that's defining the problem. Sure. And the guy or gal at the top is the person who defines the problem. And if they define the problem in a different way, it's never going to happen. I'm just going to give you an example. Okay. Um, and this, this is where I come at the, between competitors and competition. Sure. Uh, competi- competitors do the exact same thing that you do. The competition is a different way to solve the problem. Yep. So uh, in the McKinsey model, so seven years after I kind of figured my stuff out, McKinsey came along, figured out almost the exact same thing, but they called this – 
when people start looking at something, it's called an initial consideration set. Mm -hmm. How are they going to solve that problem? So define the problem frames how you're going to solve the problem. So let me just give you an example. Uh, if you sell, so you, Logan, and you, Chris, both own a jewelry store in the same town. Okay, you own your own jewelry store. What do you compete against? So there's a, there's a few different things that we're competing against. We're competing for the the wallet share of our uh, of our consumers. So we're competing with a lot of different companies. It could be the movie theater and the jewelry store and the nice restaurant. Etc. Totally agree. Yeah. So if, if, who spends more money on jewelry? Men. When do men spend money on jewelry? When they're stupid or want to say I love yeah. you. But here's the thing. I was like, for if it's my 10 year anniversary, what am I going to do? Am, am I going to spend ten thousand dollars on a diamond? Am I going to do flowers, chocolate, vacation, perfume, yeah. lingerie, per- purses, pets, cars, or trips? I heard of a place. It's called San Sebastian, Spain. There are more Michelin-rated restaurants in San Sebastian, mm-hmm. Spain, than anywhere else mm-hmm. on the planet except for Tokyo. I'm, I, I am a. I, I am what would you might call. Uh, what's the term? I'm sort of, I'm a flower. I wilt at 26 degrees Celsius. I am not going to go somewhere hot. <laughs> San Sebastian, Spain, average temperature during the day, 26 degrees. I'm like, I'm going to spend every dime possible. I'm going to take my wife to San Sebastian, Spain, and we are going to dine every day on Michelin rated food. And we spent one meal at a place called Arzac, which at the time was the number 16 restaurant on the planet. If you showed up selling jewelry, I don't care if you give it to me for 75% off. I am not buying jewelry. What am I doing? You've already spent the money. I'm going, I, in my head, I've spent that money. Right. So this is why it's important to get to the people at the top. They're deciding whether it's jewelry or Michelin rated food, mm. whether it's a CRM solution sure. or whether it's an email list. Mm-hmm. That's why it's so important to get to the guy at the top when they're new in the role and sell the value, not the product. That's interesting. Well, so uh, Michael Porter, uh, he came up with the Porter's Five Forces, uh, which which defines this uh, beautifully. Michael Porter is like one of my favorite academics, if you can have one. And so... I, I agree with what you're saying where it's where that's dictating wallet share. Um, but and and I'm not gonna beat the dead horse here because I, I do agree with you. Yeah. But you know, a so if you're C level or VP, you have a slant towards something. So whether it's a you know, like, you know, it's your direct competitor, it's a um, substitute, it's governmental, whatever that whatever that force might be yeah. that that's driving yeah. Many people in the, the organization, I would say that you, it might be more powerful to align with the people in the organization that take that are that are more in tune to your problem, which might not be the VP, but it might be the director right there. So I would say I, I agree with what you're saying, but I feel like there's a little bit more nuance than just call the VP. Well, sort of, yes, in some respects, but it's still – so first of all, the nuance, which comes down to that number one, you call at the wrong time. Right. So – so yes, calling a VP, but there is there's a process also within this VP thing because you have to find a way to not have the VP like your solution. You have to find a way for the VP to like you. And if you become the preferred vendor he would or she would rather buy from, then that other piece kind of goes away. There you go. So this yeah. is where I like to I, I, I take advantage of this thing called propinquity. Propinquity is the impact of nearness geographical, 
psychological is the classical, and I also say chronological nearness. So one of the reasons it's so easy for me to sell the VPs for hire is they're plus or minus seven and a half years my own age. I'm, 50, I'm 57 years old. I can tell the guys that are 50 to 65, it is so easy. Or sell the gals that are 50 to 65, it's so easy. But if I'm selling to 30-year-olds, it's hard because they want to text or email, and I want to pick up the phone and mm. talk to somebody. But here's the thing. I call. So we hit this thing about calling at the wrong time, which is kind of what's next. Yeah, um, I'm going to get to this. If you're going to call people, there's only two times to call them. First thing Monday morning, between 8 and 10. And I'm amazed how many sales organizations have sales meetings between 8 and 10. Because guess what? People that are new in their job have a list of things to get done. You call them between 8 and 10 in the morning, it's on their list. They'll return your call. If you don't get them to return your call on Monday mornings, when's the next best time to call them? Friday after lunch. It's either got on their list or it's been on the list all week, they want to solve the problem before they go home. Right. So this is like this is this whole thing is if you don't call a decision maker and if it's not on their list, it's not going to happen. So the wrong time is really two things. But uh, A, are they motivated because they're new in their job or something's created dissatisfaction? B, are you calling them at a time when it's on their list and it's worth spending time on because they want to get it off their list? But here for me is one of those things related to propinquity. Because when I call you or Chris on Monday morning, what's the first question I'm going to ask? What's on your list? No. What did you do this weekend? Ah, uh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. Chris is going to say, oh, I went skiing. You went skiing. Where did you go? I went to Vail. Oh, mm-hmm. my God. Where did you? Like, all of a sudden, we're building awesome. this relationship because we have these things in common. Mm-hmm. So, going to phone on Monday morning. What's the question I'm going to ask? What did you do this weekend? Not how was your weekend, but what did you do? Because I want to find these things in common. Okay. What's, when's the second, when I call on the Friday afternoon, one to three, what am I going to ask? What are you doing this weekend? What are you doing this weekend? Totally. Right. So all of a sudden now we're sort of building these bonds and connections around the things that are the same. Like I had coffee with a guy on Monday, pretty senior guy, right? having this conversation and we're just talking about a couple of things. And all of a sudden we realized we're both scout leaders. We spent 15 minutes talking about that, that thing, right. Becomes this bridge to build a relationship with and makes me become the preferred salesperson that they want to do business with. And then what happens? Michael Bosworth talks about this. He talks about the fact that people tell you things they don't tell other people because of that relationship. Right. And, and Charlie Green's model, he calls it intimacy. People will tell, they're much more inclined to tell you the truth, right? So that's kind of, call a VP. If you don't have a relationship, the whole idea is you want to find what are those things you have in common. There's like, if you go look at my LinkedIn profile, um, I, in my neighborhood, so I run this group of cool guys, we're called the rink rats. So when it's minus 30, like it's been, you're out there making ice. When it's a little bit warmer, we actually have a Zamboni. We have our own Zamboni for our own. Yeah, for outdoor community rink. So what happens is people go to my LinkedIn profile and go, hang on a second, you drive a Zamboni? I'm like, yeah, it's a good old-fashioned Frank Zamboni, Zamboni. It's a 404. Like, wow. Do you sound Canadian. Canadian right now. Do, do you have a license plate that says my other car is a Zamboni? <laughs> no, no, but, but it's, but it's this totally cool. Uh, yeah. That's great. So, yeah. So if anybody plays hockey or has kids in hockey, like what are they? What do we talk yeah. about? We talk right. about that thing. Yeah, yeah, and yeah That's yeah. my bridge to build a relationship. Oh, I'd rather uh, buy from this guy. I so Logan, when you yes. get older, okay, 
uh, and you have kids and you sell business number one and you decide you want to spend more time with your kids instead of have a second startup, you would be one of the many, I mean many CEOs in my network that all love right up, love uh, red wine, like to sale and put their family first before they started their second business. I have this totally cool, amazing, eclectic group of people and we just share stuff like we don't share with other people. Right. That's called propinquity. Right. Makes sense. Yeah, Logan's number one. Logan's the Logan's uh, the soccer version of of you with hockey. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So yeah. yeah. So that calling at the right time is like Monday morning and Friday. But here's the other piece that's really important. You. So people leave this buying mode of status quo, happy and see no reason to change, because something triggers dissatisfaction with the status quo. It either a raises their expectations or b lowers their perception of the performance of what they have today. So you're focused on people who are dissatisfied with the status quo in this window of dissatisfaction. Classic right. example, VP, like a person who gets a new job. The data says that 70% of decision makers spend their entire, like who are new in their job, spend their entire annual budget on new initiatives in their first 90 days. Wow. wow. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> So job changes, I'm going to give you just something because people get this all the time. Email somebody that bounces. Oh, take them off the list. Like, no. So I'm going to use the Beatles as an example and I'm going to be slightly sexist here. So um, I can take a single bounced email and turn it into multiple opportunities. I'm going to tell you how. So Logan was a customer. Email that just bounces, goes to a new place. What does that mean? It means he's doing his job. I got to follow him. Don't wait for him to call me. I need to follow him. So that's my first opportunity. Second opportunity, who did Logan replace? So I'm going to do this back again. I'm going to say, okay, uh, so John, <clears throat> used to the Beatles, John was a customer, goes to a new place. Okay, I want to find out uh, where he go. I want to talk to him. Who did he replace, right? So he replaced Paul. Paul has now moved to a new job. Paul has more money, more authority, more influence, and now he wants to shake things up in his new company. That's opportunity number three, Oppor- opportunity number two, rather. Opportunity number three is who is John's boss? Because John was a nice guy and gave me some business, but I want more. So I got to figure out who his boss is and I want to go talk to his boss before John's replacement comes along. So I go away and I have a conversation with Yoko and I start building a relationship there. And then what ends up happening is eventually John's replacement, Ringo, shows up. I go to Ringo and what's the first question I should ask Ringo when I talk to him or go see him? What do you think is the first question? He's Ringo just replaced John. Hmm. What should I ask him? What's the first question? Where did John go? Uh, well, maybe if you don't already know, That's or eight. or where did you come from? Gotcha. Because all of a sudden there's another opportunity. Um, I've done some number crunching on this. If you start with a list of just a hundred people and you mm-hmm. follow job changes, because three percent of people change jobs every single month. Wow. You can create hundreds of opportunities just by tracking and following job changes. So that's interesting. Yeah. So Logan, we've done some monitoring on job positions open, right? But we haven't done a lot on uh, where following people from, from where the job that's open to where they went. That's interesting, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, our our technology is more, you know, when somebody comes into a job, we get notified of it. So company we're tracking, 
job mm-hmm. change. But yeah, I like this idea. The which is this this all comes back to number seven, which is you ignore the five opportunities created by a bounced email. So yeah, right. I like this framework. Um, so Craig, I think we we're probably in a place to wrap this thing up. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Yeah. So, um, a lot of this stuff, so this is my thing, 20 years in sales, always lucky Then it stopped. And I analyzed the business that I want. So for the first time in 20 years, I did something that was not what my sales managers taught me. All my sales managers had this theory. If you lose the business, you don't lose the lesson. The challenge is if you lost the business, you lost because you didn't have a really good relationship. If you don't have a really good relationship. People aren't going to tell you the truth. They're just going to give an excuse and get out of the conversation. So mm-hmm. what I did when this happened in 2002, I went to the internet, I typed between quotes the phrase lost sales analysis. So it's those three words together with quotes around mm-hmm. the outside. And I found 50,000 pages on the internet. And I'm like, uh, I don't, I'm not going to read 50,000 pages on the internet, but what I just did was something different. I analyzed the business that I won. So I right. went back to the search, replaced the word lost with the word one, W-O-N. I looked for the phrase, one sales analysis. In the summer of 2002, when I searched for that phrase, how many pages do you think there were on the internet that talked about analyzing the business you win instead of the business you lose? Pick a little one. No more than one. Yeah, two. That was it. Two. So here's what happens. When you win a piece of business that you want to replicate, these are the questions you need to go in and ask. So uh, talk to the person that, you know, as far up as you can, because this is where the mm-hmm. problem gets defined. What event or mm-hmm. what events led up to this purchase? That's question number one. When, they mm-hmm. t- when you ask question number one, what I learned is they tell you about event number two, which is when they could afford to pay for it. But by the time really? they can afford to pay for something, they've already decided what they're going to buy. Like my argument mm-hmm. is you guys have already decided what car you're going to buy next. Right? Mm-hmm. We, you already know. Mm-hmm. You're waiting till you get there. So I've learned I had to ask a second question. When did these events or when did this event or when did this change happen? Now they'll tell you about the first event. So now I know what brings me business. Question number three, what made you choose us? And if you shut up and listen, what you're listening for is verbs. You're listening for Mm -hmm. verbs that describe the value of being your customer. And this then becomes your value proposition. So when you call people, you don't say, would you like to buy sales training? You say, would you like to turn more of your A players into, or B players into A players? Right? So that's question number three. Question number four is, what can we do to make it easier for people to become our customer? This comes back to this RIPES thing, the five ways people justify, mm-hmm. risk avoidance, mm-hmm. image, productivity, expenses, simplicity, and your speed. That The easier mm-hmm. it is for someone to become your customer... Right, yeah. the faster it will actually happen. So I'll just give you an example: uh, an office furniture place. People would show up in the showroom. Uh, one of the top salespeople phoned me up and said, "I hear you're good at this. I need some help. I hate spending time in the showroom. Like, what can I do?" And so we went for coffee, and I said, "Well, first of all, when people come into the store, you need to ask a question: not what brings you in, but what brings you in today. And then before they leave, have them fill in a credit application." So when later on in the process, when they're ready to buy, because you've already had them do the hard work while they're motivated, then it's just the easy work when they're in a hurry. Mm-hmm. Now, last, the last, right. right. right? Wow. So, uh, and the last question then would be, you know, who else do you know who's had a similar event that maybe I should talk to? Got to get cool. those referrals. <laughs> Got to get them. 
Yeah, but, he, but here's the thing. I, uh, sure. I'm going to pick on you for a second, Logan. I don't care about a referral. I don't, I don't care about an introduction because, A, you're my first customer. I'm, I'm, you're a new customer. You're like, I don't know you well enough to introduce you to my best friends. I don't care about a referral. I don't even care about an introduction. You don't need to introduce me. I just need to know the names of people. And then I can go, hi, Logan. My name's Craig. I got your name from Chris. Oh, Chris. How do you know Chris? I don't need. So this is that whole thing about simplicity. If you put this requirement for an introduction or a referral in the way of someone who just became your customer, you're less likely to get it. Mm, I just want right, a name. Right. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, that that harkens me back to my car business days. <laughs> All right, Craig. Cool. Well, this has been fabulous having you on the show. I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy week. Uh, this has been informative and. Uh, also, I, I like you. I like how you showed your true Canadian colors there with the, the Zamboni. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, and if, if you ever come to Calgary, you want to go for a drive. I'll, I do. We'll go for a drive to go take pictures. I do. I love Are it. Are you a Flames cool. fan? Are you a Flames fan? By the way, I don't. I don't have time to watch hockey. Yeah. Good. Good. Cool. Nice. Right now, if you come to town and you want to go to a game, we can go to a game. It's not as bad as Toronto or New York, so you can yeah. you can get tickets on occasion. Right. But yeah. Right. I mean, I mean, and, and here's the thing for, for those that are listening. So if they send me a LinkedIn connection request, um, I will, I will help them experience what I do when people send me a LinkedIn connection request. Cause I think that's an awesome opportunity to not try and sell somebody something, but to add value and to stand out. That's so right. for those that are listening, uh, Craig Elias, you'll find me on LinkedIn, send me a connection request, watch what happens. All right. Awesome. Thanks for tuning in to Intent Topics, everyone. I am Chris Battis. And I'm Logan Kelly. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please give us a five-star rating on whatever podcast app you listen on. And we will see you next time. All right. Take care.